Welcome to Articulations, the podcast where we feature creative and innovative musicians that we love. That we love. Yeah, I'm Ben McAllister. Joshua Cole. And we are super psyched. And do we love this guest? Oh my God. Um, David Harrington of the legendary Kronos Quartet is going to be our guest today on the program. Yeah, and we've we've both been kicking around kind of ideas about how where do we start reacquainting ourselves with some of the some of the material they've produced over the years? What are our first experiences with them and stuff? And so it's just such a cool treat. You know, you can you can catch up on what people are doing, a lot of people pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But when someone's got forty six plus albums, um, and forty five now years of epic output. Um, it is really tough to feel prepared for the yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah, I gave up on feeling like I would know all the things um, sometime middle of last week and just dove in on a couple recordings that, uh, more recent ones mm. that I love. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible um, to to see a continuous output that is so strong all the way from beginning to end and so different and so adventurous and deep and I mean I definitely you know grew up listening my mom was a a big Kronos Quartet fan and so I grew up with it and and um, you know just it's it's opened so many universes yeah yeah sometimes somewhere in the 80s I came across a tape of uh winter was hard Mm -hmm. or white man sleeps one of those Mm -hmm. and it like stayed in the tape deck of the car for like a year better part of a year so while we're waiting for david to accept our skype invitation and hopefully start soon uh he'll be sitting backstage i think uh during a rehearsal making squeezing us in here during a rehearsal right yes kind True. So true kind. To form, true yeah. to form. And, and, you know, I guess um, really just the the general introduction. I mean, Kronos Quartet is probably the, well, it is the most famous quartet. Oh, definitely. In the world. And they're, um, the, you know, have broken every possible ground that you could break. Um, you know, there's no idea, there's no even concept of, of genre, you know, anymore. And a lot of that is due to, Kronos just following their ears and and devouring and collaborating with just people from all over the world, all over the spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's just very super inspiring. Yeah. So but, this is the part where we really quick check in with each other and go, what have you been working on the last week? Yeah. What, Joshua, would you like oh, to go first? Okay. I'm, I grabbed something that I've been working on a little bit ago. So this is a... This is, it's sort of a soundscapey thing, and actually, if you could play it from, yeah, a little later on in the track.
So that's gorgeous. So this is a part of a longer evolution of a piece that you're working on. Yeah, it's actually from a scene that got cut <laughs> from really? a performance piece. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's a just is this from, from Skeleton Flower? It, what we've heard it was a early. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's it's uh like supposed to be from this really creepy fairy tale called The Girl Who Trod on a Loaf about a girl who um was from this just super super poor family and um she went to live with this rich family and when she came back the rich family gave her a loaf of bread to share with her family and it started raining and she didn't want to get her fancy shoes wet so she puts the loaf of bread in a mud puddle Mm -hmm. to walk over the puddle and step and, and ruins the bread that was meant for her family who are starving oh no and so she sinks into the mud and like there's this whole epic creepy descent underground into this muddy world oh nice yeah it's just this very haunting story is that where the bird is yeah so well the bird is kind of her walk and then it starts raining and then it's it ends up going dark oh okay nice eventually nice that is gorgeous and that's probably just one of your sketches or demos, right? It sounds so it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, nice. In 2015, I had this New Year's resolution to uh, like clean out the, like dust off the shelves and pull all the old recordings out that might never see the light of day mm. and put like little kind of sound diaries, sound journal mm. things together and just put them out there um, just for f- friends. I was mm-hmm. thinking more than anything else. Um and so I'm going to start doing that again for 2019. Nice. And so I'm pulling together kind of a encapsulation of what I've been working on for mm. the guitar cult, for the guitar group. Perfect. Um, so this is just a little taste of one of those recordings that will be on one of these. My hard drives are full of big, you know, eight, ten guitar. Yeah. Smeary you, ambient you could, things. You could hear like the sort of, I don't know, the, the ricochet or the rebound of like things hitting the strings mm-hmm. that create this kind of weird rhythms with each other. That's really neat. Cool. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Well, um, let's see. Yeah. So it's. Three minutes till. Three minutes till. Let's, uh, I guess to set it up, we'll play uh, uh, a little bit of Kronos on the way in. One of uh, the first pieces I heard them play live, and uh, then we'll uh, get things rolling with David. Just a soft little number. Just a little tiny, uh, yeah, a little ditty. This is my friend Ben McAllister. Hi, Ben. Nice to meet you. He's another composer, nice too. And guitarist. So, are you are you currently uh, 
working on the ballet? Is that where? We just finished yesterday. Oh. Yeah, we had nine shows, and uh, the last one was yesterday afternoon. And uh, as soon as I get off the phone with you guys, I'm uh, working on the the pre-show music for the our band countries concert at Stanford that's on next Saturday. Band country? Is that like country music that's banned? It's no, it's uh, music from the uh, countries that the Trump administration oh, banned. Oh, uh, beautiful. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So wow. uh, I've been spending a lot of time trying to learn more about things I didn't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who are the, who are you working with on the, the band countries? Well, there'll be elements of sound and music from, uh, Yemen and Sudan, Somalia, um, even though Egypt is not on the official ban, it's an Islamic majority country yeah. as well as Azerbaijan and Turkey. And, you know, so we're, we're kind of, uh, lumping the seven banned countries in with, uh, Islamic majority countries and yeah. we're finding music and, and, uh, sonic elements that seem to belong together. Yeah. So is that uh, is that work you're sourcing and kind of um, compiling and maybe composing yourself? Or are you partnering with composers from those countries? Or how does that yes. collaboration thing work? Well, we have several new pieces. One is by um, uh, uh, Milad Yusufi from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. who's a young um, immigrant to our country. Um, and we also have a new piece by, um, a wonderful, uh, Iranian composer and her name is Aftab Darvishi, which we will be premiering next, uh, next Saturday. And then we're playing for the very first time music by the, um, Durdur band from Somalia. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know their work, but it's... Wow incredibly wonderful like d-u-r d-u-r yeah mm-hmm. okay okay it's on my list yeah, check them out, check them out. <laughs> yeah and those are arrangements yeah uh well the the uh Durder band uh uh song doyo will be uh an arrangement yes and are you doing these arrangements or no uh, jacob garchik did that one okay yes cool and uh milad yosufi uh, has made a kind of a compilation of one of the most, um, um, he, well, what he says is that every Afghani person knows th- this song. Right. So what he did is he listened to a lot of different versions and he chose four or five of his favorites and then he made a version inspired by those four or five versions. Oh. So I imagine there's like uh, uh, amplifying that you want to do, getting this music recognized on the world stage. But but will you also be playing, bringing bringing it to those particular countries? I imagine that's a little logistically tough. But uh, at at this point, there's a lot of things that are logistically tough, <laughs> <laughs> including uh, getting. Um, uh, Aftab Darvishi into our country. I mean, uh-huh. she even had a plane ticket. She had exactly the correct passports, the everything, and they still wouldn't let her come to our festival. So much our, our, our government would not allow her to enter our country to come to our concert last. Wow, good last season. God, I mean, it's, it's it's shocking what what is really going on, and you start um, finding out. Uh, the kinds of restrictions that people are dealing with. It's, yeah, I was at the uh, right yeah. after the the first travel ban. Yeah, um, went into place. I was in L.A. at the time and was at the airport, and there was a Persian ensemble that was just about to return to Iran, um, and they were, you know, they were. St- 
I just ran into them standing because there was a, a protest there at the terminal and they mm. came over to hang out at the protest and they, I met them there and they were just talking about, wow, this might be the last time we ever come play our music in the States. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really have adequate words for this, um, for the way I feel about it. But it, it, I mean, it's, I, I feel that all of us are going to be poorer for it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, it concerns me that, you know, one of the most important things for musicians is to hear each other mm-hmm. and to get to know each other yeah. and to experience the wealth of, of musical inspirations and instruments and voices. Yeah. And when this gets... Um, stunted and and um, uh, when it's prevented from encouraging growth I believe that that um, musicians start to uh, well it, it keeps us from from our leadership role and so we have to find other ways of leading and and that's the mode I'm in yeah. right now okay. <laughs> it's, okay. Uh, this is what we're dealing with. How are we going to work around it? Yeah, I mean, um, you know what you said about um, there's one thing where um, we have access to music from all over the world. We can download this or that. But what you right. said about musicians having access to each other directly right. is so deep because the impact that a person to person interaction collaboration exchange of ideas um has on the musicians themselves and then that gets shared out into the public is so different than people just having a detached digital relationship exactly i mean it's it's fabulous to be alive now and to be able to access music from every corner of the world it's really cool (laughs) and i love it and i celebrate it every minute of my life but even better is exactly what you say is is having conversations yeah you know hearing the stories in the tone of voice of somebody that's looking at you and explaining (laughs) what it's like to live in kabul or somewhere in Afghanistan and, and uh, have their piano have to be buried. Oh. Oh. Literally. Literally buried, wow. yes. And so the piano that Milad Yusufi um, learned piano on had to be dug up. Oh my God. The oh my mice God. and rats had to be taken out of it. There was one technician in all of Afghanistan that could fix this instrument and that is the instrument he learned to play piano on he is now um, living in New York City um, I'm hoping and I've um, you know done as much as I can in terms of writing letters on his behalf but I'm hoping that he will be allowed to stay in our country because hearing that, even that one story from this young man, um, first of all, it's everybody should know that musical instruments don't just uh, suddenly appear. They're yeah. they're thing, they're things of incredible preciousness. Mm. And when you learn uh, what he went through. To be able to play a musical instrument, yeah. it 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 puts so many things in perspective, yeah. and and I'm I think that our American culture needs this so much right now. Yeah. <laughs> needs this kind of real life story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you when you're talking about the kind of evolution from uh, kind of. I'm picturing like, you know, tape trading and way more like in-person conversation driven networking to an over the mail and then that moving into 
the digital realm where there's so much more access and like potential to make connections where that end up being in person. And then you also see the pendulum swing back and forth politically. I wonder, because Joshua and I have been diving in and sharing our like first Kronos Quartet stories as we've been <laughs> getting ready for this conversation and everything. How, like, A, I'm kind of wondering, like, is this as bad as things were during Reagan? Uh, or what, you having lived in, and breathed your music career then? Um, and how, like, it, is this really the worst we've seen? Which I think, I don't know, walking the streets of Seattle and talking to people just practicing music here, things are collaborating to make time seem really hard for a lot of people playing music for a living. Well, um, you know, one thing that, that kind of happened uh, accidentally uh, is... Uh, maybe a, a few months ago I, I saw a kind of a listing of the um, financial depressions that had happened like between the 70s and now hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of weird to look at this because I mean the, the one that I remember the most is you know what is it nine years ago yeah uh -huh. that one um, but there were all kinds of them that have happened during the career of Kronos and, and, um, some of them, uh, I just, re uh, we were so busy trying to survive and trying to make the group happen that I didn't even realize there was a depression. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, usually <laughs> the great. musicians barely notice cause they, they don't have shit anyway. Right. <laughs> It's, it's always a depression. For yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's face it. We, we, we don't do this for the money. Right. I mean, I, I was talking to someone yesterday about this very topic. And it's kind of like, you know, if I really wanted to make money, I'm pretty sure I could figure out how to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, a, in another realm, it's just there's no other realm that is nearly as interesting or exciting yeah. or wonderful. Mm -hmm. or, and where I have the opportunity to be a part of an, of this amazing community of, mm -hmm. of people that are listening into the inner aspect of humanity in, in mm -hmm. such a profound way. And, and I, you know, as time goes on, I just appreciate this more and more. And so is this the worst time, um, I mean, definitely 45 is the worst president I've ever read about, ever been alive during. And mm -hmm. There's no question about that. Right. And I, I will say that to anybody, anytime. He's the worst. Mm -hmm. His family is the worst. His <laughs> upbringing is the worst. Everything about this guy mm -hmm. uh it needs to be uh, examined, explored, and expunged. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's my feeling yeah. about it. Yeah. Talking about the the sort of um, since we're talking about the long term, one of the things that I was thinking about when thinking about having a conversation with you is um, I've been reading this book, and it's it's called Emergent Strategies, and it's it's talking about um, um, it's talking about modeling social change and um, it, and also as that intersects with art um, from by modeling natural systems. So um, emergence emergence being like how a star, a single starling in those beautiful swarms that they do, the single starling is only aware of the seven starlings around it. And it just one of them moves to the left, then there's seven around it that are going to make that same move and that it all, you know, function in, in, in a way, even though they have a, um, you know, they have a common goal, which is, you know, whatever Starling's goals are, I don't <laughs> but, um, but, uh, and she talks about kind of the pitfalls of strategic planning, where you're, you're trying to specifically navigate your future based on, um, on, mm -hmm 
the, you have these specific goals and things that you want to do and your and your vision but then along the way things change and and what i'm very curious to hear from you because you you're in this very unique place um is like are you someone who had this exact vision where you knew where you'd be or is this been a constant have you been playing with change and writing change and what what is that experience I'll explain what I can about your question in one moment, but first you have to send me the, uh, can you email me the title yes. of that book and the author? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Sounds like something I need to know about. Secondly, those, um, I know what the word is for those kinds of um, movements that starlings or fish, yeah. uh, did, did you know the word boid, B-O-I-D? no. I didn't either until we got a uh, uh, a wonderful new piece for our 50 for the future uh, titled Boyd. Oh. And I looked it up, and that's what it is. And you thought it was some dude probably at first. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't know exactly what it was until I, until I found out. And uh, anyway, so, so that's a little piece of information. Um, when Kronos had our first rehearsal on or about – September 1st, 1973, uh, it was a direct result of having grown up, um, I heard string quartet music when I was 12 for the first time, it was Beethoven's uh, Opus 127 Quartet, played by the Budapest Quartet, and I'll never ever forget hearing those E flat major chords and knowing I had to try to make that sound myself. Mm -hmm. okay. And then, so then you put that through growing up in Seattle and the high school, Roosevelt High School, getting to play quartets every day at school and mm -hmm. getting a credit for it. Mm -hmm. not. In the 60s, it was Ronald, Ronald Taylor was the music director and the, and the conductor of the orchestra and I would not have made it through high school without Mr. Taylor, no question about it. Okay, so there's that. Um, there's the American War in Vietnam. Um, there's coming back, uh, my wife and I came back from a year in Canada. Uh, we went there because I thought that I might get drafted, mm -hmm. and so I'd signed a contract with the Victoria Symphony hmm. and then as it turned out the American Army did not want me <laughs> which was fine yeah. with me yeah. but I already signed the contract so we went up there for a year uh, in August of 1973 I heard Black Angels on the radio oh. which is not something Wow, I, I believe that piece has been played on the radio once. <laughs> and scared the shit out of everybody. Right, well, it it did. It it it. I mean, what happened to me is, I felt like I heard my song. Yeah. That's all there is to it. I, yeah. I, you know, it was the same kind of feeling as when I heard Opus One Twenty Seven. Mm -hmm. I had to try to do it, and and so I. Um, the next step for me was I found out who George Crumb's publisher was. I called them up in New York and I got them to send me a score. So a couple days later, the score arrived. I took one look at it and realized the only way to play this is to get a group together that's <laughs> going to really practice. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what we did. And uh, but in terms of having any idea about much else, I can't credit that. I, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. The first piece that we tried to play was uh, Webern's Six Bagatelles. Wow. And Bartok's Third Quartet, and we were playing music of Ken Benshoff. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd grown up. Uh, when I was 16, the very first world premiere I ever did was um, a piano quintet that Ken Benshoff wrote for a group of young players that played in the Seattle Youth Symphony. Mark Sokol was the first violinist. I was second violinist. David Campbell was the uh, violist. 
And you'll know of David Campbell because uh, he's one of the most successful string arrangers in Hollywood. Ah. And, uh, he's also um, the father of Beck. Oh, <laughs> oh really? No okay. Kidding. Yeah, well, David Campbell was the violist in, huh. uh, in the Jacobin Quartet, and that's the group I was in in high school. And, and uh, Sylvia Spengler was the cellist. And we um, learned Ken's piano quintet over a f period of a few months. And I got so thrilled and inspired by working with Ken Benshoff. He's a beautiful dude. And then yeah. by the time we, we got to play the premiere him? of yeah, that yeah. piece, uh, I realized that nobody else had ever heard this music except the four of us and Ken, <laughs> five of us. Yeah. It's like we had this secret mm -hmm. and we got to go out on stage and reveal the secret that mm -hmm. only we knew about. And it, it was just so cool. Yeah. So for me, that was the beginning kind of. And uh, Ken has remained a lifelong friend and um, he wrote the very first piece for Kronos called Traveling Music. Mm -hmm. It was finished in um, 1974. That's the piece that, that you played at the show we did mm -hmm. at, uh, in Seattle, yes. yeah? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. The 40th anniversary. Yeah. And I was really happy Ken said that was the best he'd ever heard it. Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that was really great. It was the first time that Sonny Yang had ever played the piece. And so it... it, it uh, and... Uh, that that really felt nice that he said that. Nice. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that was kind of her first, like month or. Yeah, it was within the first month or two. Yes, mm -hmm. that's right. Gosh, she's incredible. Yeah. Um. So so. So I don't know yeah. if I'm explain, well, ex explaining explaining it, it, but very but organic. It. Yeah, I mean, for me, what I try to do is follow my ears. Mm -hmm. You know, and just try to get out of the way. <laughs> you know, right. just let the ears take over. Yeah. I, I actually you know. was wondering um, about that following your ears. You've also said when we've talked before that you follow what you love. Mm. And so that's a combination maybe of those two things, um, which is a, two very good things to follow. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, um, I was wondering, like, at the pace that you work, and the quantity that you work with, um, does do you uh, how how um, how much are you able to get behind um, the the works that you're working on, and and um, how does the uh, how much do you feel that the articulations on the page and the the way it's written and the communication that you get in the very limited rehearsal time you get with a composer. Um, uh, how much do you feel it is necessary to get behind uh, that aspect and get into sort of the, the thinking behind the piece and the sort of the research that went into the piece? Or is that more the composer's job in a way? No, I, I had an interesting discussion yesterday with um, members of, of uh, Alonzo King's dance company about this very topic, about what our role actually is. Yeah. And wh what I think it is, um, I mean, what I think I'm, I'm good at is getting magnetized by music. Mm. And it's not everything, you know, who could be attracted to everything in the world of music, you know. Um, but there's certain things that just pull me, and I, I don't have any choice about it. Okay, so so that th that link is something that uh, normally pulls the work of Kronos forward. Yeah, is is that initial thing, and then bringing um, composers into our rehearsal and our process is something that I think that. Uh, Sonny and Hank and John and I uh, are good at. Mm -hmm. And at that point, to me, what we try to do is to get as much information as we possibly can from the composer. Mm -hmm. And 
I guess before that, I would explain to everybody in the group as much as I know about about being attracted to this or that composer or music mm-hmm. um, and explain you know why I think it might be a really important thing for us as musicians to, in our growth and our learning about the world of music okay and then we get that person right here in in this room in this rehearsal space right here where I am and we try to find out what's behind the notes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what the notation really means and I, I, I was saying to these dancers yesterday you know a whole note is not a whole it, it's yeah. not the same thing <laughs> yeah, <it's not. laughs> you know you talk to two different musicians and it's a different thing every time yeah <laughs> and so the thought that musical notation is this absolute, yeah. perfectly distilled, communicative uh, form of, of um, nomenclature or whatever you want. I, I don't know exactly know how to explain it, but it, 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 music ends up being very personal. Mm-hmm. And, and I think exploring that realm of, of um, the distinctiveness of each person's relationship to notation, their own relationship to their inner world of sound, mm-hmm. inner world of, of um, um, inspiration, mm. you know, what, what it is... I mean, I, what, what I always try to do is is encourage composers to listen inside, listen to the sound inside, turn turn our ears the other way, mm. you know, mm. find out what's actually, what sound is going on inside. That's the sound, to me, that's the sound that um, Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, and Schubert were able to discover in those first 75 years or so of the string quartet as an art form. And the reason that we're still doing this music is, is that foundation that they created and they were able to listen inside Mm -hmm. (laughs) and make something valuable for all of us. I I was so stunned in a way uh, being in rehearsal with you guys because, um, you know, I had this, you know, of course, there's always a lot of anxiety before when you hear your music for the first time. And yeah. and and then it being you guys. Right, right at once, Joshua, I wrote a piece for Kronos and I, I came to the rehearsal. My hand yeah. was shaking. <laughs> yeah. Play. It was yeah. awful. Yeah. But uh, I was what stunned me, though, was you guys, the focus that you bring to your music, to your rehearsal, you you know, you were just saying a minute ago that you try to get as much information as possible in that short period of time, like the receptivity and the focus and the, um, there was not one second wasted in that room. And, you know, you're all very friendly, easygoing people, but when in the, when it's rehearsal time, I was really, um, it was very inspiring and awakening to me to see that level of focus there's many questions already to come out. There was just uh, a level of there, nothing else in the world exists during that period of time except making this work work. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I really appreciate that. And that, that is what we aspire to do is, mm-hmm. is to have, um, make our period of, of learning, uh, absolutely focused and make use of of time and it's it, you do feel time just slipping away when yeah. you're trying to learn something new <laughs> you know it's it's like there, there's always a deadline yeah. and um uh i i just came from this amazing pilates class and you know Sooner or later, I'm going to learn how to use my body better to make good notes. And I, I, I feel like I have, I, I've been studying with this, this Pilates teacher now for two and a half years. 
and it's almost like having a really great violin teacher. I mean, hmm. we're working on shoulder movements and little muscles in the back. Hmm. And, you know, one of the great things about doing the um, nine performances with Alonzo King's company is that I was I was able to work on these kinds of things. My playing has really gotten better in the last week. Wow. <laughs> because uh, because we played the same music every night, which we never do. Right. I mean, when we go on tour, we play a different show every night. Really? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I've, I mean, I'm very proud of that. You know, it's like I am not tired of one piece, not one that we play. Mm -hmm. I, I love every one of them. I can't wait to play it. And we try to f try to encourage that freshness mm -hmm. in, in programming. Dude. But I have to say that these la the last two weeks of doing these same pieces every night has really helped me. Mm. And that's not to say I'm uh, that uh, I'm going to suggest that Kronos plays the same program <laughs> for the next year so that I can improve <laughs> more. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I just assume not not improve and and have the um, excitement and, and anticipation and and uh, even sometimes fear. Yeah. <laughs> fear is a thing sometimes yeah. when you're on stage. <laughs> like, am I going to be able to do this? Wow. Yeah. Can this yeah. group really do this? I mean, right. I, I I like that challenge. You yeah. Know? Is that something you'd say gives you energy? Yes. About this, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I am. There's never been a piece, and I can tell you for sure, there's never been a piece when I haven't gone through uh, that kind of fear. Are we going to really be able to do this? It's, <laughs> wow. it's like the, you always go through this little point where where your heart sinks a little bit and you, and you wonder, this seems like it's too much. It, uh, I don't know if we can do this. It's mm. too complicated. There's whatever it is, you know, the the world intervenes in some way or another, and you have to surmount something. <laughs> and sometimes it's a lot more than other times. Yeah, yeah. We we were talking about uh, rabbit holes because it seems like you are. I just thought of this just now. Uh. Kind of a rabbit hole a addict a little bit. Where you know, what <laughs> which I mean? would be a good thing for your, the job that you're in. Yeah, and just that. <laughs> For your vocation. You know, it must, you know, you talk about, um, I, I hadn't thought of it in terms of that sort of fear that you have going into it each time, but that, that definitely makes sense. And just, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you uh, encounter rabbit holes that just give you too much fear and you make a U-turn. Um. You know, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that we're involved in right now, is, as you probably know, is is the 50 for the Future project. Yes. Can you explain that first before yes. you? And 50 for the Future is a five-year project that's actually going to end up taking about six or seven years or maybe even eight years to accomplish because there was the year before, there's the five years, and then there's finishing up okay but the idea is over five years of commissions there will be 25 new pieces by female composers 25 new pieces by male composers these will be written for chronos premiered by us but the ultimate idea is that we will um, be able to give these pieces to other groups and especially younger groups. And so, for example, when I was 12 years old and I heard Opus 127 for the first time, the next day I went to the Seattle Public Library and checked that music out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And later that week, I was in a practice room at the University of Washington with three other junior high kids. That's like magic. And we were playing that piece. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now fast forward some 50 years or so and I 
we begin to realize that none of the music that we play could you go, could a 12-year-old kid who was starting his or her first group, you couldn't go to a library, check this music out. Let's say you went to a Kronos concert, you loved a piece, it touched you, you heard something you needed, it, it satisfied something, you wanted to make it yourself. None of our music was available. Mm. So we thought, okay, can we somehow find a way to make a collection of music that can take other players, can take them kind of into the... Um, some of the musical realms that we find interesting um, can give all of us more information about culture, about musical notation, about uh, so many aspects of life. Can, can we put this, like make a, almost like a microcosmos like Bartok wrote for mm -hmm. his, his son to learn piano? Can we find a way of doing this for the string quartet? Mm. And then can we publish that music and can it be downloaded for free any time of the day or night, any place in the world? Can this actually happen? And we talked to, uh, first initially we talked to the um, people at Carnegie Hall and they got very interested in this and they became our lead commissioner. Mm -hmm. And since then, there have been many other partners, music festivals, uh, foundations, uh, pr uh, private um, uh, persons. Uh, and this is beginning to happen. At the moment, you can go onto our website and you can download the first 25 pieces. Oh, really? And this is, uh, so far, there have been groups from 83 countries, as the last I heard, uh, that have downloaded this music more than 10,000 times. Wow. Wow. So it's beginning to take off. It, 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 has, um, a, it has lots to do yet. And, and uh, uh, we're right in the middle of uh, the final editing of the next five pieces. Oh, the other thing is that, that we, Kronos makes a recording of each of the pieces that really? can be streamed. Wow. And there are interviews with the composers, and in some cases, these pieces can be um, played in a variety of ways. And so, for example, uh, Tanya Tagak's piece, we've done with Tanya, Wuman's piece we've done with Wuman. Um, Suyun Ya's piece we've done with Suyun. Fode Lasana Diabate can be done as a quintet, and we've done it with uh, Las as well. So some of these pieces exist as quartet pieces, and um, as well as they can be done as quintet pieces. Um, and and some of them have uh, uh, lost in his piece uh, was transcribed by a saxophone quartet in in uh, really oh, cool. yeah yeah in in Amsterdam and it sounds great on as a saxophone quartet really great and uh, and so anyway the idea is to create this musical mosaic of possibilities yeah. and uh, if we do this as good as we can. And if the composers continue to write their finest works for this project, which they've all done so far, I think, um, I think there will be an entry point, especially for young players. But I, I'm, I will be very happy when um, fully professional groups decide that Garth Knox satellite is is a great piece and will spice up any string quartet or anywhere <laughs> because it will i'll tell you beautiful <laughs> so i, I want to come back i have one more question about that program but you mentioned tanya tagak and yeah. um uh what maybe th two three years ago 
I think we both had the good fortune to see her uh, perform uh, her soundtrack to Nanook of the North here in Seattle. And it was hands down like one of the most incredible experimental performances I've ever (laughs) seen anyone carry out. How how did you, how did you, uh, what was your introduction to her? How'd you, how'd you meet? Uh, Okay. I was flying back from Europe and I wish I could tell you the exact year. It's it's beginning to be close to 20 years ago now. Really? Uh, not quite 20. Maybe 18 years. I, anyway, um, I was listening to a CD that had come out in F Roots magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with that magazine. It's, it's, a, it's a really good magazine. And... So here I am flying over Greenland and all of a sudden this track came on and I looked at the credits on this CD and it was Tanya Tugak. Okay, from Greenland to San Francisco, I must have listened to that track 40 times. (laughs) By the time I landed in San Francisco, there was no question I had to track down Tanya Tugak we, I mean, I had been a fan of um, Inuit throat singing mm-hmm. since I first heard uh, the traditional yeah. singing. Um, God, I think it was on a UNESCO, UNESCO record yeah. years ago. Years, it, Someone gave it to me when I was in L.A. one time. And I just thought, this is the coolest thing. And I, I, I love that these women are blowing into each other's throats yeah. and then the song ends when when one of them laughs right. because <laughs> right, right. so much you know? there's a lot of good youtube videos now and there's like little 12 year old girls doing it and stuff it's pretty neat. oh is that right yeah I, I, okay i didn't know that wow and a- anyway so hearing tanya it just all of a sudden okay now there's this person that's doing something like what i remember hearing in the late 70s or early 80s and um, so eventually, uh, Tanya and I were on the telephone. And the first time I ever talked to Tanya, it was, it was great. It was, it's always been great talking to her. So this is like roughly 20 years ago, though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, man. I'm so and, excited to go dig that recording up if I can find it. And so Tanya, yeah, uh, it's uh, F Roots Magazine, one of their CDs. Okay. And if you don't, if you can't get it, we have it at our office. We have that track. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And um, uh, what the was call. I going to say about that? Oh, yeah, the um, call. Uh, so here we are on the phone, and I uh, and Tanya said she she only had five minutes because there was a musk ox barbecue that she had to go to. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, when, when has a musician ever told me they had to go to a mu- <laughs> mu- ox barbecue? <laughs> so immediately I, I felt really close to Tanya. And eventually, eventually we, um, we were on tour in Spain, and that's where she was living at that time. And she came to our rehearsal and performed for us. And everybody just went nuts. And, um, and then it, uh, uh, what happened is we ended up writing a piece together uh, called Nunavut. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a, a few days in northern Canada together, and we made this piece. And then it was filmed. I think you might be able to see it. There's some uh, great video. Yeah, I've, I've seen that online. Okay. Yeah. The CBC made, made a really nice uh recording and, and a visualization of that piece. And so that's how we started working together. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then Derek Chark um, uh, joined us on a tour once, and then he began to write mm-hmm. uh, for Tanya and Kronos. Um, and then when we started, and, and so we were performed together frequently, and then um, uh, I, I just thought, I want every 
quartet player in the universe to be able to sound like Tanya. So how can we do this? And so I asked Tanya if she would be a part of 50 for the future. Oh, wonderful. And, and she said, well, I, I don't, don't really know if I can write a string quartet. And I, I said, Tanya, you... You play string you quartet. You are a string quartet. Every day of your life, your throat is a string quartet. Yeah. So anyway, she went into a studio and, and um, she made uh, Savunatini. Uh, and it's really cool. I mean, I've, I've heard now five or six groups. One of them was from, um, oh, gee, I, th I think it was from Singapore. Uh, we've heard groups uh, many places in the world now sounding like Tanya. Wow, <laughs> really? You're going to put her out of work. We found a way to, to uh, and, and Jacob Garchik worked on this a lot, because to try to find a way of notating some That's of the, the sounds. Uh, you know, you can only get so close. To, I, yeah. I mean, Tanya is Tanya. Yeah. So, I'm not saying... Uh, I'm not saying that we're we won't put her out of work. <laughs> it's just I think what'll happen is that that the vocabulary of bowed stringed instruments has gotten larger because of Tanya. Yeah, beautiful. Not larger, but much more interesting. And um, I think anyways. that's that's one of the most incredible things about your work over time has been, you know, I think. I think people focus a little too much on the on the catchphrase of boundary breaking, but I oh, think right. it's I feel like what you've done is is really um, allowed the generosity of mastery that exists in all traditions mm. to be able to be shared into the instrumentation of classical music, and that I you know what I mean it's it's like oh. people mm. are so. You know, Ben and I were talking earlier just about um, there's this idea of lineage and, you know, classical tradition that is not really all that relevant when you're just a musician who loves music, you know. Mm. And, and so that's, yeah, that's just a thought that was. Well, you know, one of the things that occurs to me is, um, I mean, so I'm sitting in this room and, and I remember hearing uh, Su Yun Ya play the Hagem right across from where I'm sitting right now. Mm. I, I had never been in the same room with a Hagem player. I'd heard it on recording and thought, wow, this is, this is incredible, okay? But when you're in the same, you know, three feet away from this and you're hearing a sound that, that you can't tell is this a wind instrument is this a voice is, is this a bowed stringed instrument what is this sound and you're you're seeing it being made hearing it live it's it's an incredible experience and my initial response to that is well I want my family to know about this I want my friends to know about this this is cool this is wonderful yeah and I can tell you the same thing about when Von on Vo uh, played her Dan Bao for the first time right mm. here in this room for the members of Kronos. Mm. It, it is totally transformative <laughs> to hear this kind of a sound that, you, you know, and so a lot of the kinds of things you're talking about have happened right here. Beautiful. They become. It's. It's. I don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think about yeah. it. it. It's just like, well, the most natural thing to do is to want to incorporate that into my own life, my own music making. I will be a better musician if I can learn to sound like a Dan Bao sometime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. You know. Um, and there's many instruments like that there's many different approaches to music to me so much of of being a musician is is having the opportunity to celebrate humanity and and the diversity of uh of what we know as music and to and just 
um, learn new things. I, yeah. I think it's fun to learn new things. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um, and, and so, someone, uh, one of the dancers last night was. I, I just asked her, uh, you know, what music do you listen to? And she said, Well, I listen to classical music. And, and I said, "What's what's that?" <laughs> yeah, I, I said, "You know, I'm getting it's getting harder for me all the time to know what any definition of any kind of music is." Yeah, you know, you know for me, like I thinking about and getting ready for this show was in some ways super easy because you you Kronos's work has always been just like part of my formative experience as a musician. But like what you're talking about um, in terms of like, like, like you were super enabling, like almost in a punk rock way. The first time I saw you play at Bumper Shoot and you played a track that uh, we played during the intro just a little bit of by John Oswald. And I think oh, I think the title is Mock. Oh, you uh, Mock. OK, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, this is kind of pre-internet, probably 91 or two. I imagine the year was and yeah. but it's uh it's it's you all and i think uh oswald's website says something like 13 death metal bands um oh. <laughs> <laughs> but being a being a young man who had like one foot in like uh Verez and stravinsky but one foot in playing rock and uh and and l loving like all music equally more or less i was uh that just seeing that example set was so important to me as a musician. So first of all, thanks so much. But oh, well, that, I was I, I have to ask you, how come that piece never saw the light of day in a recording or anything? Or do you is there a story behind that? Because when I've heard it, I try to describe my experience to everybody else. And they all thought, you know drugs and alcohol were involved on my end or something <laughs> they didn't know what i was talking about uh you know what you've reminded me of a piece that i had forgotten about so i'm gonna go right? back and check it out yes yes i mean i we have concentrated on specter so much yeah. because it's it's um you know basically john we went into a studio here in san francisco with john he recorded all kinds of different sounds. He took those sounds back to Toronto, and he found a way to turn turn what started out as our tuning, oh yeah, into basically I think it's 800 Chronoses going on at yeah. the same time at the highest point. And there's something that is so um, perfectly proportioned about that piece. And, and, but thank you for reminding me of mock because I, I want to go back and check it out. Cool. Yeah. There's, I think there's just something beautiful in the example being set by all the breadth and all the different, like what we were calling rabbit holes that you go down yeah. with the, the vision notwithstanding, like just constantly seeking new directions rather than like treading on familiar territory like we all well, appreciate it about your group you know for me um uh i mean there are certain musical notes that i've heard people make that live inside of me so strongly and i refer to them sometimes in moments of need in moments of despair um, in moments of happiness <laughs> too. Um, and I feel that the best note has not ever been made. The best note has not been written. Um, to me, I, I liked, I mean, I know that I can play better than I did yesterday. I know that in my heart. Mm -hmm. And if I just work on my posture and feeling the bow and feeling the, the string very sensitively in, in the left hand, the sound is going to be better than it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. I know that. I just have to teach myself and listen really carefully. 
And I feel that way about composers as well, that, that if we can inspire people to raise their level, I mean, to me, that's, that's what we should be trying to do for each other. Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, I was telling another story yesterday about, uh, the 50 for the future, because my daughter is a third grade teacher in the public schools here in San Francisco. And every year we, we go to her class and she brings, um, another class. And so there are 44 kids, third graders, and both of the classes work on 50 for the future pieces. They, they learn them. They listen to the composers interviews. And, and anyway, we were playing one of the pieces. We were going to play one of the pieces. I announced the name of the piece and the kids stood up before we played a note and gave it a standing ovation. <laughs> and I, I had to call the composer later in the day. I, when, when in the history of the universe has there ever been a standing ovation for a piece before it was played that nobody's ever heard of? <laughs> it's like, you know, so every once in a while something good happens. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to kind of take heart you know, and take inspiration from those moments and try to build on them. And, and that's what I want to do, you know, and I want to do it every moment of my life. And I want Kronos to be right at, at that pitch of involvement. Well, we couldn't find a better place to, you know, we're one minute before our hour is up. <laughs> And oh, that was just such a perfect, that's a perfect summary closer. and such a, um, I don't know, such a, a true, true to you way of looking at the world that is just so contagious. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, thank you. For the, thank you for thinking of me about uh, for doing this. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, it's been a, wonderful to talk to you. And uh, I'm. I have more energy than I had an hour ago. Oh, so. excellent. <laughs> good. Well, have a, have a good rehearsal day and everything Thank else you. that you're up to. It's so great to talk to you. Find the Articulations podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to it and you won't miss a thing. We'll see you soon.